Hello there, folks. Oh, what a lovely uh, opening symbol. That theme music that I used to the start of this, and remembering, of course, that I'm now recording this without having heard it for this particular episode. This, for this episode, I haven't actually heard the theme music. It's been a while since I've listened to it myself. But I do remember recording it, and most of it is done on the Apple version of uh, GarageBand. So, hey, it can be done. GarageBand can be used on the phone to create high-quality, engaging 15 seconds worth of Muzak. Of course, engaging and Muzak, those two concepts, (laughs) they generally don't go together. (laughs) Elevator, elevator music. (sighs) Welcome to Daughter Talks with Adam Jacobs. This is the podcast where I ask myself, in anticipation of my little daughter asking me, the big askable questions of, of life. Oh, God, that was a very conv- convoluted, unnecessarily complicated way of saying This podcast, folks, is a chance for me to prepare myself for the big questions my little daughter's going to ask when she's old enough, she's only, what is she now? Oh, she's just gone five months. Five months old. It's crazy times, isn't it? But, you know, she settled down. She sleeps through the night. Don't cross, touch wood. Cross my fingers. She sleeps through the night. Cross me fingers. That's one thing she does a lot, too. She sucks her fingers. She puts them in her mouth. She sucks them. She loves it. She doesn't like... She's, she's, she knows what a dummy is, but she prefers her fingers. Hmm, interesting. I encourage it because it means she's self-sufficient, and that's what this podcast is about today. Dad, she's going to ask me. Dad, she's going to say, Dad. She might have. She might call me Adam. Who knows? Who knows what this is going to be like in the future? Who knows what the protocols are in the future? Might not be Dad or Mum anymore. Might just be Adam. Excuse me, Adam. Be like, hey, you call me Mr. Jacobs, thanks very much. See, that's how it used to be back in the day, didn't it? They'd call your dad Mr. Jacobs. Not just, you know, not Mr. Jacobs. Just whatever your dad's name was. It's weird. She's going to come to me, she's going to say, hey, dad, dad, dad. That's very Australian. Dad. Oh, dad. How do I become self-sufficient? How do I become self-sufficient? Well, in what capacity will be my next question? But this podcast doesn't qualify questions. No, I'm not, I'm not going back for more information. I'm simply answering the question as it's put to me in the first instance from my own head because Aoife is literally not asking these questions now. That's the whole point of the podcast is that I'm preparing myself for likely questions that you will ask in the future. You understand? You get it? You understand? I'm sure you do. So, she's asking me, Dad, how do I become self-sufficient? Well, I'll say, love, look, there's two dimensions to that. First, there's emotional, emotional self-sufficiency. So, will or won't you be dependent on the love and affection of others? 
course you will be, but to what extent and in what way, that's the first thing. So the emotional dimension, and then you've got the material dimension. So how can I be self-sufficient materially? Well, first of all, you need enough food to survive. And secondly, how do you become independently wealthy? Well, geez, if I knew the answer to that question, uh, well, maybe I do know the answer to that question, which is my point regarding that, and that's where we shall start. So there's the emotional and the material. That's pretty much it, really. They're the two dimensions I'm going to speak to today. There are other factors, but they all are a derivative of those two notions, concepts, slash, philosophies. Material self-sufficiency. Well, yeah, you need to put in the right food in your body. Firstly, if you put the right food in your body, and this is a point for everyone, all right, put the right food in your body, you don't need much. Ah, oh, that's an interesting point, Adam. So what does that mean? For the, well, it's not going to be as expensive, is it, mate? Oh, right. Right. Okay. That's the idea. Yeah, it's not going to be. So that's it. it goes to self-sufficiency. Yes, it goes directly to self-sufficiency. If you put the right things in your body, you don't need as much. And then it frees you up to do other things with, with your life. Besides trying to work out what you're going to do next. Of course, if you don't have enough food, then it's very difficult to get more food, which is a problem as well. Except to say that starvation and practicing 12 hours starvation a day is a very good idea, I believe, anyway, for my own purposes. But staged fasting, let's put it that way, does a couple of interesting things for the human body. It does burn fat obviously but also it encourages your brain to grow people say no mate you're not even what are you on about now your brain grows staged fasting will encourage the growth of new brain connections between the cells and all the rest of it synapses and the mitochondria whatever they are I forget all the anatomical terms now. But it does. Because your body's not getting the the sustenance that it's used to, let's put it that way, then your body thinks, oh, we're in stress. Stress! Then it'll brain is triggered to become cleverer. So then it grows more connections between cells. Isn't that amazing? That is absolutely amazing. All right, so that's, that's the one thing, obviously. Put the right things in your body, then you don't need as much. And then you can manage your, your consumption and also the expenditure. <sighs> what about becoming self-sufficient financially? How to become independently wealthy? Well, what is independently wealthy, in, really, in real terms? It's relative. I think today... If you wanted to maintain a a Western lifestyle in a first world country and you wanted to be entirely independently wealthy, you would probably need about $9 million. That would be a minimum, the minimum. And you'd be able to get by if you knew how to use that money properly. All right, so there you go. 
Now, that's a very short answer to a question that, obviously, needs a little bit more unpacking, so to speak. Who's got $9 million sitting in their piggy bank? I could have, actually, now think about it. If I had made a contribution to my piggy bank of such and such over a period of time, per day, times by the hour, the number of first and third life, and then take my heart rate, yes, I could be have $9 million. No, I couldn't. I couldn't. I'm not old enough yet. If I was going by that calculation, if I live to be 165, I could take the $200,000 I've saved and put it all on black at the casino. And then maybe I'll get $9 million. So anyway, that's not going to happen, is it? Well, it could do, but let's just say it doesn't. Independently wealthy. Well, hey, first of all, you look at the things you want in life. And that's not an easy thing to do. See, nothing's easy, is it? But it is ultimately. It starts very simply. If I want to be self-sufficient, I'm thinking emotional things and I'm thinking material things. Very simple in the first instance after that. Okay, so what's important to you in life? That is first needs to be determined. And we struggle to work out what that is. For some of us, it's a piano. Yeah, that's what I said. It's a piano. I want to become a brilliant pianist. That's what people think. That's important to them. That's important to them. So I just need a bowl of cereal in the morning, a banana at lunchtime, and maybe one of those savoury flapjack things that's got a bit of chicken and avocado in it. I think they call them crepes. For dinner, thank you. And then I, and a piano, please. That's, that's it. That's all I need. Uh, now, I don't know if you need $9 million to make that happen, to be completely honest. You'll need to do something to get that money, to get some money coming in. Mm. All right, interesting. So then we get to this idea of the job. What's the job mean? Well, the job is a means to an end for many of us. Or it is the end for which we created a means for. That's confusing. When it comes to paying for your life, you need to know what you're paying for. So what's important to you? I suggest that before you answer that question that you explore your passions. And this will give you a true sense of independence. Because in the first instance, your passions are an interest only, aren't they? Just an interest. It's not until you get into it and then you realise, oh, okay, I'll see what this is about. Then you go, right, I'm in. Of course, we um, sometimes our interest urge let's just call it that way, on the meter, on the interest meter, is very high in the first instance. And that's a positive sign, and we should follow that. Sometimes our interests are more ethereal, and they speak to us as if, as if through some magical means, like music. For me, you know, I listen to music, and I, could, I can hear all the different bits all happening, and all the... the chord changes and I could probably more or less play any song uh, only sort of having heard it once essentially not that I, I don't have perfect pitch though 
Don't be thinking that. Right, good. I'm not listening to the frogs chirp in the pond at night and calling out the, the all the notes. That frog is burping at B flat. That's a B flat burp, frog. I don't know what that, that wasn't a B flat. Whew, gosh, you guys have got to keep up with you, don't I? I'm sorry. All right. So, materially, first thing to do is explore your passion. Explore your passion. The second thing to do is, once you have a clear idea of what it is that you want, what it is your passion actually is, then you pursue it with vigor and determination and a kind of strident single-mindedness that can only be described as obsession without being obsessive. Because remember, obsession, a key component of obsession, to make obsession work for you, you have to have non-contact time. You can't just play the piano for 20 hours a day. You can't. Well, you need sleep, don't you? That's only four hours sleep. 18? You can't play the piano 18 hours a day. I mean, you can. But at the same time, you can't. You've got to speak to people and learn how to use language and you've got to write stuff down. You've got to have all the skills in place to be a functioning member of society. If you don't mind me saying. And that takes practice and that takes time away from your obsession. Non-contact time. Really important. And also, when you come back, you need a chance for your body to grow. Your brain needs to grow. All right, there we go. So non-contact time. You find your passion and you stick to it. I tell you what, the most successful people in life more or less have followed what interests them emphatically. Even those people who are like entrepreneurial types and they get online and they go, "What can, I want to sell something and they just do the numbers on, and they end up doing something weird like selling darts to Eskimos or something. Who knows what they end up doing? But they're not in love with darts or or even Eskimos, no offence Eskimos, what they are in love with, I don't know if that's, is that racially derogative, that term Eskimo? Jeez, creepers. In the hashtag Me Too and all the rest of it, I don't know if Eskimos become a racial slur. Maybe it has. I'll have to research that. Please accept my ignorance and genuine ignorance and I apologise. What they're interested in is marketing. They're passionate about how the marketing machine works and how to make it happen. Now, the good thing about you having a passion for whatever you're interested in, it could be marketing, is that the passion that you have for it teaches you to be passionate about other things in life. We're eliminating the boredom factor. So some people aren't very passionate about stacking the dishwasher. But some people are. Some people are tidy freaks and they want the dishwasher packed a certain way. Huh? And they're very fastidious about it. Obsessive about it. So now you 
need to ask yourself, well, how can I take the passion that I feel for what I'm interested in and apply it to dishwashing? Second, the dishwashing machine. The ingredients of passion are, is, is transferable to other recipes. Does that make sense? Anyway, you get what I mean. The key to the pathway to independent living is to pursue your passion. All right, there we go. So that's the material stuff dealt with more or less I mean, I didn't just—I didn't tell you how to get rich quick. That's what you're expecting. Is that what you're expecting? No, I didn't say that. I say that you will do yourself harm if you don't commit to your passions. You will do yourself a disservice ultimately, and you'll end up salary, salary dude. And you've got to stay on the payroll for sure. Absolutely, I agree with that. You've got to stay on the payroll, but you be the pay. Uh, e, you be the payee. You're the one creating the payroll. Mm. All right, very good. Now, emotional things. How do we become emotionally self-sufficient? All right, good question. Thank you, Aoife. I appreciate your multi-dimensional approach to the concept. <laughs> You must have a bit of a head screwed onto your shoulders there, boy. Take after your dad, do you? <laughs> I bet you do. All right. Of course, when we're talking about emotional independence, really, I suppose one of the key things talking about is like managing loneliness. How can I be happy with my own company? And how reliant should I be on others? Well... I can answer that question very easily. You need to be as reliant on others as you are able relative to them, to the degree to which you need to trust them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And can we just take a step back? Yes, we can take a step back. Trust. Trust. Trust, trust. Trust starts with you. Trust starts with you. What would you do? What is it in your life that you do, that you would do, that you could imagine yourself doing, that may or may not cause other people to not trust you? That is the measure by which you will be trusted and the measure by which you are, will be able to trust. Uh-huh. Yep, 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 yep. Trust is really important. And the, the, the answer to the, the response to the statement I made originally about you need to be with people in so much relative to the the ability you have to trust them essentially so Adam then what to what extent should I trust other people okay this is really important absolutely 100% all in trust 
that's what you should give people. You should give others all your trust. Those, you've, those who are in your life, you should trust them explicitly. Oh, wow, that sounds a very, it's a very controversial, Adam. That's very controversial. Yes, you should trust them to do the right thing. You should trust them to keep your secrets. You should trust them to be support you when to, to defend you when you are not there to defend yourself. You should trust them to be imperfect. You should trust them to possibly be deceptive at some stage. You should trust them to be very good at the little the little lies little white lies and you should trust them to be good at some big lies as well. You should trust them to be suspicious of you. You should trust them to be compromised in some way that you may never know about. In other words, you need to trust everyone to be multidimensional, flappable, compromised, aspirational. Decent. All the dimensions. You should trust everyone to be the yin and the yang and the good and the bad and the ugly. Because we are. If you trust people to be to be only good, then you will have your trust challenged. You'll become, you'll be incapable of having faith in anyone. Hello, did you hear that? Yes. So trust, trust. When people do do something that causes you to lose a little bit of faith in them. There's always a reason why. There's always a reason why. Ask yourself why, why, why? I mean, even serial killers, people who study serial killers, behavioralists, criminologists and all the rest of it, they don't just go, oh, he's evil, put him in the chair. He's evil, give him the injection. See you later, mate. They behaviors go back into the person's life. They look at the contributing factors. They try and work out why. Why are you doing that? I said, well, because there's indicators, there's behaviors, there's certain environments that allow for a person to adopt some very warped and delusional views on the world, and then they become serial killers. Oh, so there are. Uh, repeatable factors in this. Yes! Contributing cultural dimensional factors. Yes, there are! Oh, we better know what they are then. Why? Because there's always a reason. If someone kills 30 people, there's a reason! Why am I making a point of this? Because it's really powerful. The next time you think, oh, why did you... Why can't I... I but I trusted you! 
when you let me down. It's like, stand back and go, well, why? There's a reason why. Now, once you've, that, that means giving that person a bit of rope, giving them a bit of leniency, giving them a bit of get out of jail free. That's what it feels like. No, I just hate, when I hate you, because you left, because you disappointed me. May not be hate, it's a bit of a strong word, but you know what I mean. Ask yourself why. Now, if you get into the habit of determining, or at least asking the question, why? Why do people do things that they do? Then that gives you the power. You got the power back again. And you say, yes, I was hurt, and yes, I was betrayed, yes, I was, all these things. But why did that happen? Why? What is going on with that person in their life to make that happen? Because I trusted them. I trusted them to deceive me because we deceive each other all the time. We lie every day. We're all lying to some degree. We have to. So trust has to be has to include the acceptance of our ability and tendency to lie. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting, Adam. Anyway, for what it's worth, that's my answer to the question. That's the that's my key to the to unlocking the question of self sufficiency. Have a curiosity about it. Comes to emotional independence. Ask yourself, why? Why is gives you power? Who's the most powerful person? When a crime takes place. It's a crime. So after the fact, who are the most powerful people? Once the crime's committed, and we get to the point, we get to the, go through the process of determining guilt, finding the perpetrator, or whatever it is. Who are the most powerful? It's forensics. The forensic investigators are the most powerful people in that way. And why? Because they're asking the question, why? Because there's always a reason. Determine the reason. And if you put yourself in the front foot in terms of trying to work out that reason, then you are in a position of, it's powerful. You may not get an answer that you like, but, you know, that's beside the point, to be completely honest. Just do it. You'll find out what I mean. Anyway, that's um, that's it for another episode of Daughter Talks, where I prepare myself for big ticket conversations with my little darling daughter, Aoife, when she's old enough. This podcast is not sponsored by anyone. I'll see you again soon. Bye.